Hello, this is Jana Rose of the Rose Compass podcast, um, coming to you today from a very special location um, in Philadelphia, in the Spring Art section of Philadelphia. This is the Kismet Cowork Space, and I'm really happy that they are hosting an event Friday night, Valentine's Day, February 14th, for singles. Um, with some live improv, some funny um, conversations and opportunities for people to meet and talk about some of the perils of dating and finding intimacy. Um, and you can find out more about that on motherjanacoaching.com, Jana spelled J-A-N-A. And speaking of intimacy, today I have Candice Smith, who is an intimacy expert and is working with um, a company called Tango. She's a partner for Tango, really helping couples connect and get engaged, um, intimacy and sexual wellness, all kinds of um, interesting things Candace has been doing. So Candace, um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the work that you're doing regarding intimacy and sexual wellness? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to dive into some of our topics today. Yeah. Um, my, I, yeah. So I got into sexual wellness and intimacy um, as a result of not having any sex education growing up. I didn't talk about sex with my family. I didn't really get much of a sex education to speak of in school. And, um, I wanted to, I wanted to learn more, you know, I didn't have any like healthy intimacy modeled for me, um, in the relationships that I saw. And so when I started dating, um, I didn't know how to speak up for myself. I didn't know what pleasure should look like. Pleasure was very shameful for me. Um, and, and I found that it kind of, they kind of went hand in hand. Like if I thought of pleasure, I, I felt shamed and I thought, that my partners were always the ones that needed to receive the pleasure. Um, my partners were the ones that um, I needed to put all the effort in. I needed to perform for them. I needed to look a certain way and, and, and do certain things and, and um, sound a, a certain way and act um, and fake it, basically. Yeah. Um, and so in learning that, I... I never really slowed down to focus on how good sex could feel. Um, and so I ended up going into uh, sexuality studies um, at Harvard University. I wanted to learn more about relationship dynamics and sex and start talking and, and having some of these conversations that, um, that I hadn't had. And I, I found it fascinating, but I still didn't. I still didn't have the knowledge to make it like translate into success in my relationships. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I, I could learn about consent and I could learn about relationship power and how we silence ourselves and, and what makes for healthy intimacy. Um, but because I didn't know what pleasure looked like for me, mm. still wasn't able to connect during intimacy with partners. And so it took me years of studying and uh, researching myself into what makes for healthy intimacy, what are my yeses, what are my noes, um, to start figuring out what pleasure really looked like. And that's uh, not long after I, I created Tango. 
Wow. Wow. So there's so many interesting things that you just said that I wanted to just highlight. Um, and and because, especially because I am connected to this work as well as an intimacy coach um, and rooted, my work is rooted in yoga and meditation. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas it's interesting because you're talking about how you were learning about this in an academic setting, mm -hmm. which I think people probably don't even know that even exists. <laughs> you can study some of these topics in an academic setting, but that, um, but that, yeah, then translating it to the personal, palpable, like tactical life situation you were in, that wasn't easy to take it from the academic to that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I also wanted to highlight the fact that you said pleasure was often linked to shame because I think that obviously you're not alone in having experienced that. I think I've, I've experienced that. I think a, a lot of people, men and women, have experienced this idea that pleasure and shame are somehow coexistent. And my thesis in a lot of that, and I don't know if you can speak to this at all, but my thesis is that that's really rooted in a Christian church. Um, whether you're Christian or not, so much of our society is founded in these sort of sort of Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the church has taught a lot of shame for people. And that's where I'm sort of coming at from it and trying to release some of that shame. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if, if you can speak to that at all, because I, when I started really uncovering the, and it wasn't so much about pleasure for me, it was just about my body in general. Mm -hmm. and not feeling good about my body. And a lot of women struggle to feel good about their bodies. Um, and I started to sort of unwrap that more and more and started to look at what's the foundation? Like, where is this coming from? And I think a lot of it comes from religion. Um, so is there any connection that you had in some of your study and some of your work to how that could be rooted from that place, from that kind of institution? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the America was very Puritan and there are so yeah. many like puritanical values and, and, and multiple like, uh, Christian based, uh, you know, Christian denomination faiths that, um, that has created this sense of like purity culture and, um, shaming, shaming the body. And like this, it's funny, I was actually just having a conversation, um, with some, a nutritionist for another podcast about purity culture and about the body and the way that it, it affects the body and, and how we view our bodies uh, as a result of that. And we talked about this idea of purity, um, kind of like the idea of perfection, right? There is, it's, it's this like imagined ideal, this imagined standard. And when you're told that your body is pure until your body is pure yeah. until a certain moment. Um, yeah. And you lose, you lose something, right? You're told that you lose your purity when you get married or when you, you know, have sexual contact with someone. Even if you are married, you're losing your purity, right? And so if you've been living with that as a standard over your head um, for as long as you can remember, all of a sudden mm -hmm. what happens? What is the opposite of purity, right? You're dirty, yeah, you're clean, yeah. right? And yeah. when you hold that idea of purity in your body, your body is, is the vessel for this purity. And so 
there's so much shame tied around like, well, you know, what if we kissed? Am I impure now because, because I kissed my partner? Am I impure because I did X, Y, Z? And there's so much um, trauma that our bodies or that, that we, you know, hold on to and that becomes a part of our bodies, especially yes. when we are experiencing sexual touch. Yeah. And it's one of the biggest places that people then end up feeling pain. Yeah. They end up disconnecting during sex. They end up feeling anxiety and, and so much shame. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've seen it in my work and I've experienced it personally. It was definitely the, the background that I grew up in was one where we do not talk about sex. Right. Until you get married. Um, the, I, like there was literally nothing, even now, even now that I am a sex educator, I've, I, we, I, we still haven't had any kind of sex talk with my family and yeah. it's, it's just, um, it's a point of, of non-conversation. Right. So I've seen it in my work and I've seen it personally. And it was one of the biggest things that I had to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you on all of that. And so for me, one of the things that led me into this work from a place of curiosity was I'm a really deeply spiritual person. And so for me, that spirituality really um, began. um, Well, it began, you know, with a, a kind of earnest seeking and I found myself because I'm in the Philadelphia area at a Quaker meeting because it seemed the most encompassing in terms of thinking about religion and wasn't really sure what to make of God and whether God existed and all these sorts of things. But I found myself at a Quaker meeting and it was working and it was meditative and I was noticing some changes in my life. But then um, the thing that, um, hooked me even more was yoga because it was an opportunity to actually go deeper into my body and start to uncover some of the pain and trauma that had lived there for a number of years, which I had suppressed because there was never an invitation from anybody on the outside to say like, let's go and look at this. Let's kind of analyze what's happened. And, you know, so it was very therapeutic, but that, Mm -hmm. um, and then when I ended up divorced, um, and sex played a role in that marriage and that divorce because it does for everybody who's mm-hmm. married, you know, sex is a big part of it. And if you don't have healthy models of sexuality, if you don't have a culture that talks openly about what a sexual relationship looks like, a healthy sexual relationship, if you've maybe experienced some form of trauma or abuse, which so many women have, and I know men have too, but it's a lot of women who carry a lot of that fear, then it all gets wrapped up and then your body's holding on to all these things. So for me, I was really starting to explore, well, what's the connection of spirituality and sexuality? Because why are they at odds? And why, um, when we want to learn about God and we want to think about faith, we seem to think that sex is the complete opposite than that. Like, why can't we see sexual union as an opportunity to connect with the divine in another person? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started, that was sort of my inroad into thinking about some of this stuff and wanting to work with other 
Christian and Catholic couples who have struggled so much with some of the shame mm-hmm. and guilt and fear about their bodies. Um, and I, it just led me on this really intense journey that's been really interesting. But this might tie into what you're dealing with too, is the people who really need some of this help um, are unlikely to state out loud that they need this help. Mm-hmm. And they're un likely to advocate for themselves in getting okay. the help. And so here we are, you and I both talking about this topic that affects so many people, mm-hmm. um, everybody <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. And it's this thing that we put in the closet and we hide and everybody's doing all kinds of things in dark corners regarding sexuality, but no one is talking about it at the forefront. Um, and I don't know how we get it from the closet to the front and center of the room because anytime things have come out in the front and center, it it seems like perversion to people. Mm -hmm. We are a culture that is very, very um, accepting of violence and we just seem to think that violence is just natural. But to talk about a healthy, sensual or sexual union between two people um, or even just any kind of different sorts of relationships that are about love and affection. I mean, we think that's perversion. Exactly. And that is insane to me. Yeah. You know, I, I know conservative Christians will sit there with their guns and I don't want to sound judgmental, but I really do have an issue with guns. So they might sit with guns and they might watch a lot of violent TV, but mm-hmm. God forbid you show a naked body on the screen. And I, that just baffles me. So what do you yeah. think is a way to get people talking. I think this is connects to what you're doing, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So my, my big focus is on intimate communication yeah, and in sparking intimate communication. And one of the big things that I, um, that I was thinking about when I was creating Tango was how do we spark communication um, behind closed doors for yeah. people who aren't necessarily ready to come to the table and, you know, speak openly about this and talk about it on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, to their friends proudly at brunch and, you know, that they're, they're feeling this like private, um, you know, they have private thoughts and they have private questions and they, they maybe obviously would like to enjoy sex and they would like to enjoy intimacy, but they're not sure where to get started. So, Um, I ended up creating my kits with conversation starters and guided experiences. It's kind of like an intimacy coach in a box Mm -hmm. with some curated items that then comes to your door and it's very discreet. Right. So that's one of the things that I do with my work. And and then I also curate um, private conversations, um, you know, video chats. uh, Yeah. Yeah women around the country where we just sit and we talk about topics and we try to normalize the stigma of some of the very, very normal things that we go through in terms of sex and intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, it's so, it's just such a tricky, that's what I'm learning. It's just such a tricky area to navigate and yet so important, especially considering that the way we often talk about sexuality is from a place of abuse, right? Mm-hmm. So I teach at college. So I've taught um, at different area colleges for a number of years. 
I've taught in the writing department. Um, I also teach in the kinesiology and yoga department. Mm -hmm. And when young women start out at college, the, the lessons that they're taught are not about um, any sort of positive body sorts of image, anything about pleasure and the amazing qualities of a, of a woman's body. I mean, just the amazing qualities of a woman's body. I've had three kids, so I know how amazing a woman's body is. Um, but they're taught you have to be um, really careful about getting raped and really careful about being abused. And so women walk around oftentimes in a state of fear about what they're going to experience as they go through life, whether it's college and beyond. Um, Some of them are carrying childhood wounds of trauma and abuse. I mean, and this is a huge, huge issue and it's not, I don't know that it's coming to the forefront as much as it needs to, because I don't think there's awareness about the pain that people are carrying. Yeah, no, I, I think that, I mean, I'm a sexual assault survivor myself Okay. in high school. And when I decided I, I wanted to go into sex education myself, and partially that was because of my own healing journey. Yeah. Um, I, I started with pleasure. Yeah. I started by focusing on pleasure because... At its core, the shame that I was feeling and, the, sh- and the, the experiences that I was rejecting were all about receiving pleasure, right? And I didn't want yeah. to focus on my own experience. I didn't want to focus on um, receiving. I just wanted to focus on giving to my partner. I wanted to make sure, I mean, one of the first things that, that you learn in grade school or wherever, yeah. uh, in the, in the little, um, you know, middle school, high school gossip, um, is that if a man looks at you, he's going to get horny. Yeah. And if he gets horny, then he gets aroused. And if he gets aroused, um, you have to take care of it because if you don't, he's going to be in pain. Oh. He's going to get, he's going to yeah. get blue balls. I don't know if yeah. I can. Is right. Yeah. Okay? Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, <laughs> I'm on all kinds of different podcasts. I get you. No, I'm with you. I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I'm a raw. I'm a raw person. You know. Okay, you know good. Like, good. <laughs> all right. Cool, sisters. Um, yeah. You know. So if if he's hurting, um, you know, look at what you did, and so it puts all the responsibility of like being the one who arouses, being the one who has to then take care of it. Like all of that is then put on me, mm-hmm. you know, anyone else who, who learns these things. So I grew up thinking those things and feeling like, you know, if a, if a partner wanted to, let's say, please me orally. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't, I don't want that. I'm okay. Yeah. You don't have to focus on me because what are you going to get out of it? You're not going to wow. get any pleasure. That, wow. Right. And so I legitimately would feel uncomfortable yeah. receiving pleasure. And so when in my, in my mid-20s, when I started thinking about um, where I wanted to begin, mm-hmm. um, because I'd been in a sexless relationship, I had had, um, I had literally felt revulsion at 
my partner touching me because I was so, I, I had so much baggage and trauma and unresolved issues around sex um, and so much anxiety that the act became unpleasurable for me. It wasn't a way that I really, I didn't express love right. through sex. My body had become like this weapon <laughs> that I used against myself. And, um, and so I started with pleasure. And, and, I, and I think with the research that I've done and the work that I've been doing with, uh, firstly on myself and then with uh, other women and then with tango for couples, um, I focused on this idea of pleasure positive first. Right. And what you mentioned before is the messages that we get in our society is like very fear based. Yeah. Um, And pleasure positive sex education focuses on dismantling shame around pleasure. It's saying it's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And pleasure positive experiences in the bedroom are ones that don't necessarily focus on orgasm. They don't necessarily focus on climax or performance or having to look a certain way. It's just about enjoying. Right. What's funny about what you're talking about. I mean this, so this to me is very tied to my spirituality and why the more I went into these questions from a spiritual framework, the more I came into an understanding of sexuality that was somewhat different mm-hmm. um, because my meditation practice is about um, surrender and letting go. And so because I practice that two times a day, I'm already um, open to that receptivity, right? And so much about feminine energy is about receptivity. But yeah. because we live in um, a male-dominated world, we have a we have a tendency to have to take on some of that active energy mm-hmm. in order to defend ourselves, in order to make it financially, career-wise. You know, we don't always get the opportunity to embrace that feminine energy because we're told that if you are in that open, receptive state, you're you're prone to danger. I mean, we're really taught from a young age, and I have two daughters, so we're taught from a young age that. Um, you know, at least I was, and I, and I feel like it, I, mean, I was impression, impressionable from the culture. We're taught, you know, you just have to always watch out for yourself and be careful. And so the things that lend themselves to creativity and open-mindedness and free-spiritedness and all these really wonderful things require surrender and they require receptivity. But you can't be in that place if you're always fearing that you're going to be attacked or that that doesn't you know, you can't function that way in this world. And so I think there's just something about that receiving piece that's important, not just for women, but that's also um, for men, because I've met a lot of men who have experienced a lot of trauma from the church and what they've taught as well. And they might not be as vocal about some of the um, the problems regarding that, or they have had to battle their own demons when it comes to shame and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that for me, um, I just started seeking, like I look, I started looking in Christian scripture because I was very hesitant to, you know, even 
remotely kind of think about Jesus and Christianity and stuff. And yet I was sort of in these worlds and I was like, well, how does it work? Let me actually start looking myself. And I started to see, and this is what I'm sort of passionate about. Jesus never spoke against sex and he never spoke against pleasure. And he also mm -hmm. often there's, there's scenes of pleasure. So I was like, so where is this coming from? Where are these messages coming from? And I realized that a lot of the teachings of this church that people think they're following are really from these man-made ideas. Yeah. And they're not even from the pure crux of where the teachings came from. And so that's why I became fascinated and passionate about seeing how I could help people reframe it and see it differently. Because if they want to be good people, right? And this is what I think a lot of it comes down to. All of us want to be good people. Mm -hmm. And if we automatically have this paradox in our mind or this, or this thing set up in our mind where we think being good means you should be hurting and suffering mm -hmm. and not experiencing pleasure. That, that being good is aligned with sacrifice. Being good is aligned with never putting yourself first. Mm -hmm. Being good is aligned with celibacy and abstinence. Mm -hmm. We are just pardon my French, fucking people up from the get-go. And think about the combination of that belief system with hustle culture. Oh, I don't even know what hustle culture is. Tell me that. I don't even know what that is. So it's this mindset that I, I think is especially prevalent for millennials right now, this idea that you have to keep working, 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 hustling, hustling, yeah. never stop. You always have to be turned on. You always have to be in your masculine. You always have to be achieving, right? Joy is achievement and joy is success and joy yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you know, um, the, the, the pride and um, like your pride comes from martyring yourself for your work. And uh, yep. Yep. On. And like the, the, there's like verbal competitions between people of, oh, well, I worked 80 hour weeks. Well, I work a hundred hour weeks. And what does that mean? Right? What does that even mean? Well, what it means is you're never home. Yeah. What it means is you're always glued to your phone. What it mm -hmm. means is you're um, never tuned into or present with the people around you. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, studies are showing now that this idea of hustle culture has been having very real effects on burnout and libido. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And here's the other piece I want to make sure we mention because we, we could go on forever probably, yeah. but um, you know, and I, I don't want to sound judgmental because I've, I've said this a few times and I think people feel a lot of shame around pornography. So if I mention it, then I think people automatically assume I'm being judgmental. And I'm not necessarily being judgmental about the use of pornography, to be honest with you. And, and maybe I need to explore it a little bit further. It's not something I'm interested in myself, but I know a lot of people are very interested in pornography. They spend a lot of time looking at pornography. And so the problem becomes not the fact that you, you know, want to have pleasure in your life and experience pleasure. The problem becomes oftentimes that if you are addicted to pornography and that is how you're engaging with your own sexuality and thinking about engaging with a partner, then when you're actually in front of a partner and you actually have an opportunity for an intimate connection, 
-hmm. you don't know quite how to function in that framework because you've spent so much time alone watching it happen that you're automatically removed from your body in some capacity or you're distant, right? And so it really cuts into the opportunity for an authentic, intimate connection with the person who's in front of you. And I think that's a big problem. And I know that in Christian, in Christianity, because of the shame and guilt around sexuality, people are doing a lot of this, you know, secret porn addiction and not really talking about it and not knowing how to come through onto the other side of it. Well, I've spoken, I've spoken with and, and counseled um, a few Christian couples who had that very question about pornography yeah. usage. Yeah. And, um, you know, I personally think that in the right context, it could be a good teaching tool, but the yeah. right context, that is very yeah. important. I think, uh, I mean, I, I took a class on pornography. I learned yeah. how to quickly analyze it. We're sitting there in class, you know, with our pencils out and like, oh, okay, so that's what that means. And that's what the, right, you know, right. et cetera. Learning about the history and the context and, and how to critically analyze and engage with this so that we understand what we're seeing. The problem is when it's just out there on the internet for anybody to find with an yeah. interconnection, you have no context. You have no idea whether or not the people who are actually there are, are consensually there uh, being filmed. You have no idea what's actually going on is if there's, uh, you don't get to see the intimacy side of things. You don't get to right. see the reality. This is all staged. It is a right. performance. Right. Um, and so you are learning from a very unrealistic, I mean, a lot of times these, um, just from conversations with, with um, people who, act professionally, um, sex workers and, and, and um, act professionally in, in porn videos, um, you hear these stories that they film them like movies. They film them, they have multiple takes, right? The things that you see, the special effects that are happening, those aren't necessarily happening in real time. All of it is staged for the viewer's enjoyment. It yeah. is not real. Right. And so we, we're learning how to be intimate and how to have sex from something that is a fantasy. Right. So right. it's oh. with the wrong context, it is a very bad education source. Right. And especially when no one is talking about it in right. an engaging, interactive way outside of it. Right. And so all the education comes from this secret dark corner where everybody's secretly looking and watching right. and real and taking it all in and not having opportunities to counter that with the reality of what um, and I think especially for young men, like what a woman might want or not want. And, and are women being taught to speak um, up about, you know, as you were saying before, to what is the yes and what is the no? And are women feeling confident enough to be able to own their yes and their no? Mm -hmm. And are men being taught how to communicate as well about what they might want or not want? There's all kinds of assumptions being made and not enough conversations and education around this being had. You know, you're, you're bringing up something for me. It makes me think of this, um, of a conversation I was having recently about, um, about monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. How when we, uh, monogamous relationships versus open relationships versus polyamorous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and one of the one of the interesting things that I noted as a monogamous person myself in a monogamous yeah. relationship, that's how I I, you know, like my love yeah. life. Yeah. Um, 
But one of the most fascinating things that I that I've discovered about those who pursue open relationships and polyamorous relationships is that you must talk definitions. You must yeah. talk about your boundaries, about your needs, about your wants. And I think there's there's some there there's some prevailing notion that we have of like monogamous relationship being whether it's the white picket fence idea that we've bought into whether it's the knight in shining armor idea that we've bought into um that it's the love uh happy happy forever after ending that we've bought into with monogamous relationships but we have these ideas um that make us not talk about what our needs are and right like when we start dating each other we're not like so what kind of sex life do you want how much is, right. is enough for you um, what are you into? What are you not into? Right. What are your limits? What are things you yeah. would like to explore with me? Um, I know. What does infidelity look like to you? Yeah. Right? yeah. We don't talk about these things and then they become mind like little, little, um, remember that old video, that old, uh, computer game, mind, minefield, mind. I don't know if I ever played that. But yeah, minefield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's minefield. So where you're where you're just clicking around on the screen and hoping to God you don't land on a bomb. Is that, that battleship? Wait, is that battleship? Well, uh, well, we get that. We get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around on a on a screen on a right, right. And there are bombs hidden. Yes. You don't know where they are, and that's what being in a monogamous relationship is like. So often when you don't talk about what your needs are and what your value systems are and what you're looking for in a relationship. Yeah. And that's where so many of these, um, these issues end up coming up later. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. I mean, it really is. It is, it is a, it is a minefield. It really is. And I think you and I are both, we connected through, you know, a platform, fortunately that where we found each other. And I think other people are hopefully starting to find each other to talk about this because we need, to have education going forward for people of all ages. That's the other thing. People mm -hmm. of all ages need this. And that's been my challenge because in starting this coaching business, you know, the thing that keeps coming up is, you know, you're supposed to have an ideal client. And I, and I understand that. But when I look at this issue, I'm like, this, this, this is so deep that this is every age, you know, this is men and women, this is gay people, this is straight people, you know, this is sexual abuse survivors, this is people who've grown up in the church, people who are atheists, you know, this is everybody, because we're all sexual beings, and we don't get any cultural conversations about this topic, and it is so desperately needed, because we're having all this abuse in churches, we're having all these people hold on to this shame, we have politics getting out of hand a lot of times because of topics of sexuality that are under you know the undercurrent of a lot of our political decisions yeah. i mean this is everything this is you know so to try to pick one little area for me has been very challenging um in regard to this so i just think it's something that we just need to do as much as possible to get out I there totally talking agree. about it yeah I totally yeah. agree and, and and you have to be brave right i mean this yeah. requires a lot we talked about this before bravery Mm -hmm. especially as women, Candace. I mean, that's the thing. Like I have already, there's already been assumptions made about me and I knew this would happen that I'm actually an undercover prostitute, right? That when I say I'm an intimacy coach, really, I just want to have sex with people for money. You know, that is the sort of assumption that gets made when you sort of present yourself as doing this work. And I knew that was going to happen, but I'm like, oh, there it is. There it is. You know what I mean? 
Um, and so I find that really frustrating too. Um, so where, tell me, so tell me, cause we, we do have to wrap up, but I would love to know in your work, cause you've, you've really studied this for a long time and you've done a lot of really great work around it. Um, what is like your, your go-to advice when you're talking to couples about how to get to know each other on a deeper level? And that's really what intimacy is, right? It's about this deeper level. Yeah. Um, my go-to advice, I would say you start with your yeses and your noes. Yep. I'm with you. Yeah. Yep, start with your yeses and your noes. You have to identify what, what feels good to you, not because you feel like you need to please the other person, not because you feel like you're pleasing your parents or uh, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. what feels good to you yeah. and what doesn't feel good to you and yeah. start having conversations about that. Because when you can talk to each other about pleasure and you can start to normalize some of these feelings of shame. We, we all have these feelings. We all share these experiences, but we don't know that because we just don't talk to each other. I know. And if you just start the conversation about what feels good to you. I'm totally with where you. It goes from there, you know? Yeah, I'm totally with you. And that's why I'm hosting. I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm in the Philadelphia area, but trying to start these salons because I think that if, at least if we can just start having some conversations, mm -hmm. you know, about what it, what it's like to start engaging with somebody on this intimate level and move past shame, yeah. um, at least we're making a start, right? At least we're getting a little bit of headway in a, in a long, you know, thousands of year old tradition of not talking openly about what we really need to be talking about so that these awful things that are happening to people in the dark, you know, behind closed doors stop happening because the longer we go not talking about it, the more those things happen. And then the more we repress the voices of the people who need to be speaking up. Um, and also just owning the fact that pleasure is not like that. We're, we're alive to be alive, you know, right. <laughs> supposed to only be experiencing pain and suffering, that there's something great about connecting with another person and experiencing pleasure. So, um, you know, I agree. yeah. So I just want to say a little bit more about you real quick. So that people, and I want to make sure that people can go to your site. So, um, you know, as a co-founder at Tango and working on intimacy and sexual wellness, you've, you're a graduate of Harvard university in sexuality studies. So you have a, you, this is really steeped in a lot of education. Um, you've written for a number of places like Forbes, Oprah Magazine. I mean, you have all kinds of information out there. Um, how can people learn more about you? Yeah, sure. So um, first place, go to our website, www.tango.love. Um, that's the website URL. And you can also find us on social media as well. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at uh, the Tango Kit. And if you reach out on Facebook, um, much like yourself, I host private um, online conversations where we, for women where we can start normalizing some of these, um, these topics about sex and shame and uh, intimacy and love. Yes. So reach out That's if awesome. you want to get added to a conversation sometime. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm just so glad you're doing this work. I'm so glad I got to meet you. I hope that we can 
um, keep talking, you know, um, finding ways because there's not many of us out there and I would love for us to stay connected. Yeah. Um, and I, and I really appreciate you making the time to talk to me today about this. It's just in time for Valentine's Day, all this right? intense, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, and then just, just, just finish this up. This is the Rose Compass podcast. Um, Jana Rose here, and this is Mother Jana Coaching, J-A-N-A, um, hosting area workshops, online um, education tutorials, and all kinds of things surrounding intimacy, love, um, loving your body, releasing shame and fear about your sexuality. So thank you again, Candice, for being here, um, and I hope we get to connect again soon. Thank you again. Bye-bye.